Hello, and welcome to episode 159 of Pop Culturally Deprived, where each week we watch a movie one of us has never seen before and talk about the good, the bad, and the forever. This week we're going to be talking about the Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn, both parts one and two, on your You Named My Daughter After the Loch Ness Monster podcast. Vose, you can find me on Twitter at Matthew Vose. <laughs> We're still so boring. We are. We I'm not going to come up with anything better than that. It's my name. It's the best thing it could be. All right. Good. Good. As ever, we want to give a great big shout out to say thank you to our lovely patrons on Patreon who support us, who back us, who allow us to do what we do and give us the energy and strength and love and care to keep going. And we want to give a special shout out this week to Jossie. Yay, Jossie. Jossie. Jossbot7? At Jossbot7 on Twitter. Okay. Yes, that is I correct. Me, okay, thank you. JB, yes. that's all I can think of. <laughs> <laughs> she sent me a wonderful story. Well, wonderful, depending on who you ask, I think. <laughs> um, about, she specifically asked for her shout out to be in this episode. So we've been holding on to it for a little while. Jossie! Uh, she gave me two reasons. The first one is adorable. She said, I don't know why, but I get a seriously major kick out of listening to Matthew grumble about these movies. Mm-hmm. Rhubarb, rhubarb. Yeah. And then, so the first time she ever watched Breaking Dawn, she was on a plane ride from New Zealand to Oregon. And she was newly pregnant. And so she wrote, between the trauma of the, of the birthing scene, the flashing lights, the first trimester sickness, and the overnight long haul... Oh my God, Mandy, I got so sick. I couldn't stay upright. I begged the flight attendants to let me lay down on the floor, and instead they moved me over to the end of the row, uprooting everyone in the middle of their in-flight sleep so they could attach an oxygen tank and give me a mask for the rest of the flight home. It was so embarrassing, and for some reason, those two dang movies hold a special place in my heart. So I'm wow. glad we could remind you of your trauma, Jazzy. <laughs> I mean, New Zealand to Oregon, that's quite a trip. I don't even have any idea how long it is, but I can imagine it's yeah, super long. Mm. Yeah, and and I I have I think I've heard stories about the birthing scene causing sickness and illness in people because of that flashing, because of the oh, okay. visceral nature of it. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. there was something on Wikipedia or something about it. So. Mm. Well, cool, cool, cool. Jazzy, thank you so much. Another person who's been a supporter since the very early days of the podcast. So thank you. We love you. Heart eyes. Yes. And if you would like to have a shout out on the show, you can go to patreon.com slash eloquentgushing to find out how. So, so Breaking Dawn, parts with... one and two, four hours of Twilight, Matthew. Yes. All right, so tell us what these are about before we get into the grumbling. <laughs> rhubarb, rhubarb. Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 1 was released in 2011 with Part 2 coming out in 2012. Directed by Bill Condon with the cast and writers returning for both films. The films were even more successful than their predecessors. Part 2 sits 81st on the highest grossing films of all time in between Inception and Spider-Man 2002. 
taking nearly $830 million worldwide. Did we just set our own record for the shortest history and production section of yes. the podcast? I did read, because there is lots of stuff about, oh, they only had contracts for four films, so they had to rework it all out, and they would talk about, were, were people going to die and then not come into the fifth film or something like that, and then eventually they didn't. So it was the world's most boring story. There was stuff about the writer. There was a whole thing about, oh, who's the screenwriter of these? Because she had done a thing of setting up her own company. Melissa. Uh, Melissa Rosenberg. Yes. Yeah, she set up a production company called Tall Girl Productions with the name of promoting stories and, yeah, stories made by women, written by women, to be made um, and directed by women. They don't seem to have done too much except for Jessica Jones. When I read oh. that, I was like, amazing. I can go and find, I can talk about all this stuff that they've done off the back of it. Well, I mean, but Jessica Jones is awesome, so. It, it is. I don't feel like they got that green lit or like oh, put see. enough backing behind it that that Marvel show got made over another one or something. You right, know. right. Okay. Um, and this is obviously a couple of days after Natalie Portman getting called out. For trying to support women directors, which, yeah. and and to be fair, she has said that that yes, they are right. We should do better, but it's very hard to do better. Yeah. Mm. So, on the heels of that very very short production section, will you tell us what these movies are about? So, uh, Edward and Bella, we're catching up with Edward and Bella again. They get married finally. She gets pregnant. The baby kills her. She's turned into a vampire. And then the Volturi come to kill the child. And they must prepare defences. And Jacob is also there. That hurts my heart. Be- being <laughs> Jacob. <sighs> okay. So, how did you watch this movie? <laughs> Why did that hurt? Which bit of that hurts your heart? <sighs> There's just so much more to the story. Sure, sure. I mean, you know, brief synopsis, so... All right. I watched it on Netflix. They are still available on Netflix over here, which is very good, very useful. Although they are on... This is probably coming out way after they're on. Because they are on randomly, like, over Valentine's Day in the UK. Because, you know, (laughs) there's no better love story than Twilight. (laughs) As the meme goes. That's the meme, isn't it? Oh, actually, yeah, I think that there is a meme of that, yes. maybe. Yeah. It's still um, better than Twilight is usually the, yeah. the meme. So. And I, I'm trying to turn that around because, you know, yeah. you know, I think that's possibly a bit unfair. But now, watching it on <laughs> Netflix in huge screen size, I have a new television. <laughs> new television is up on the wall. It is giant. It is amazing. And it, and it allowed me the opportunity to do some trigonometry. So, you know, hooray. Trigonometry. I wanted to work out whether the by comparing the distance I sit from this screen to the distance I sit from a cinema screen, what's the comparative screen size? So if the screen at the cinema was as far away as my TV is for me, it would be about 20 centimetres wider. Hmm. Okay. So, so I'm quite pleased with this TV right now, frankly. <laughs> Matthew, you're a nerd. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Okay. There are genuine uses for maths. All right. So How were you? Yeah, go on. Oh, well, I still learn these, so <laughs> of course I do. Matthew, tell everybody, did you enjoy this movie? These movies. 
Oh, that's really hard because I was thinking Saga as a whole. These movies? I mean... Yeah, let's start with just Breaking Dawn 1 and 2. Okay. Breaking Dawn 1, uh, probably not. Breaking Dawn 2, probably. Breaking Dawn 2 is probably the stronger of, of the stories. Okay. Um, of the the whole thing, the saga as a whole, yeah, I don't, I don't, not really. Really? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I kind of know that, but <laughs> it's so interesting because you you came at it from a perspective of I enjoyed Twilight more than I expected, and you had lots of really good things to say about Twilight. Yeah, I I think perhaps the last two films have sapped that from me. Okay. Not not these last two films, Eclipse and New Moon. Right, right. There's a little element that you could skip Eclipse and New Moon and go straight into Breaking Dawn. No. No, no. I, I'm not sure you get anything from those films. Other than <sighs> okay. character and situation, but... Well, I mean, yeah, they're world building and... <sighs> <sighs> there is... a. a there is a lot of content here, and I'm not sure it all needs to be here. Or if it is to be there, I'm not sure it's done in the right way. I think this is my my big problem with it. And, and part of that is they're not for me. These right. are romance stories. These are fant- fantasy romance stories. So there is an element of having a cent- central character who is the center of everyone's world despite not feeling that herself, um, finding about a bigger world and eventually becoming a significant force in that bigger world. Mm -hmm. In the sort of hero's journey, Mary Sue equivalent of like a Luke Skywalker. You know, it's about going and fighting and learning those skills in that way. In a romance equivalent of it, it's... Everyone wants them, and they have to make choices in doing it, and I think that's what we got here. Okay. So, is there a way to tell this story? And when I say this story, I mean the entire arc, like the whole saga from beginning to end. Is there a way to tell this story in a way that you would have actually enjoyed? Like, is, is, are the flaws in the story itself or in the execution of the story? I think... I think there's a lot of flaws in the story. Uh, okay, Jacob. Let, let's pick one of the big ones. Jacob. <laughs> Love triangle, fine. Love triangles are great. There's a reason you have, let's go back to the equivalent uh, I just said, there's a reason you have Luke Skywalker, you know, bit bit beta, bit learning, bit junior. You have the gorgeous princess that everyone desires and is wonderful and amazing in, in herself. And then you have the slightly alpha Han Solo and choices and depending on who you want to be involved in that relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, except until you find out they're stepbrother and sister, but fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's an interesting story. It adds an extra dimension to when you set up groups of characters together. Fine, there's there's no issue with that. The love triangle seems to go on. If we're, if we're talking five movies, it goes on for four movies, if not five. Okay. Okay. And I I, I think. I would have dug it. It had they resolved that within certainly, certainly not had it in these two movies. If not, have not had it in the one before it as well. Is it actually a love triangle if the heroine has made her choice? 
Just because Jacob couldn't accept it, does that make it a love triangle? And and that's why the content is ridiculous. Because, it, like, I think we've talked about this on one of the previous ones. Mm-hmm. It really seemed like it was a decision. Was she going to be Team Edward or Team Jacob? Who was she going to... And then you watch it and, like, no, there's no Team Jacob. There's, there's right. people saying she should be with Jacob because he's hot. But other than that, <laughs> there's nothing there. And frankly... Right. That's all Taylor Lautner's got going for him after watching these films. Woof. Oh. Pun intended. Yeah, I guess I don't think there was. Yeah, I know. I know. I was ignoring it. Oh. I mean, we we talked about this. I don't. <laughs> oh, my God, Matthew. We talked about this either in Twilight or actually, I don't think it was Twilight. I think it was New Moon. Um, or maybe Eclipse, because I they still all blur together for me, like timelines. <laughs> because it's just one story for me. But we, we talked about how it was never a choice for Bella. No, absolutely. She chose Edward mm. from the beginning, and it was never going to be Jacob. Absolutely. And, and, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. That's good. I, I was into that, and I liked it. And, and had they resolved it with her making a choice, it would have been okay. Had it been that they become good friends which they tried to do, it would have been fine. But why am I spending so much of my time watching Jacob Mope not be useful and distract from where there's actually interesting stuff going on? I, I Certainly in these films, I would have really enjoyed it if Jacob had gone and we hadn't seen anything. But after the wedding, and certainly he could have moped significantly less at the wedding. Like the film opening on him turning into a wolf with the wedding invite because he's so enraged about this wedding that we've known is coming for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And then we have him at the wedding and then we have him moping throughout the film because we want to have these interstitials away from the vampires. Actually, if it had been... And then suddenly Jake was brought back into it towards the end when it's like, oh, there's going to be a thing with the werewolves here and now we come back in and now we get to catch up with him. I think stronger. I think it's a distraction just because they've set up this, like, and I think they still want to have set up a love triangle. A, there's someone out there who cares for her who is impacting on their relationship. I, but see, I, I don't think her intention, I don't think her intention was ever to set up a love triangle because her end game was for Jacob to always imprint on Renesmee, which is why he is so drawn to Bella. It's not about Bella. You don't buy that. <laughs> I don't buy. Okay, so I knew he imprinted on the child. That was one of the things Aww. I knew going into this. Okay, fine, okay. fine. And it's one of the things that put me off Twilight because it's just like, oh god, she's and it feels like just finding a way to keep him involved. Well, he can't have the mother, so then he imprints on the daughter. Ugh. However, however. And I don't think she quite threaded this needle, to be fair. But I think she did find a way to make that a reasonable choice, a moment in the story. That when you then find out the reason behind it, that by doing that, it stops the other werewolves from being able to attack Renesmee. Renesmee. Mm -hmm. And that it does explain some of the thing with him and Bella. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, I can kind of see that, and I kind of give that reason a bit of a pass. Except she also tries to do, it's uh, not something he would ever get to choose to do. She also tries to do that story, like, he didn't know it was going to happen, it's just a thing. If it had actually been, this was his solution for the crisis, 
that to stop to protect Renesmee, he imprints on her and also feels this love and it was also destined. But but to have some element of choice to it? I think it would be creepier. Okay. If there had been an element of choice. Okay. Because there are a lot of people who are critical of this mm-hmm. decision because she's a child, a baby, mm-hmm. a child who this... Gr- okay, he's not really a grown-ass man, but he's in the body of a grown-ass man. Yeah. You know, imprints on her. And it's not romantic. You know, in, in the book, they take, m- like, more great pains than they do in the movie to explain that at that age, it's not romantic. Like, he's not in love with her. He mm. is... He wants to be her protector. He loves her. Yeah. Um, family kind I, of thing. I, I think that absolutely comes across in the film. Okay. I think the but, way but he there cares are a for lot her, of Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I can completely understand people reading it that way because mm-hmm. they have set up that it's a relationship thing for other werewolves. Mm-hmm. I think they actually do very well that this is a protector thing. Mm-hmm. This is a Chewbacca okay. type, you know. <laughs> I'm going to keep leading on this Star Wars thing. But, right. but, you know, he is there to always look after her. And okay. there are there are other stories about girls who grew up with giant wolves or creatures looking after them mm-hmm. and, and being their protectors. And it's fine in them. Okay. So. Okay. I feel so like, like we I got say, off on a tangent and I don't know that we actually answered the original no, question. No, okay. So is there a way to tell it? I think stripping out some of the content. I think there is a lot of stuff in here, but let's take it back to that comment about the romance. I think she wanted it to be a romance at its core and wanted it to have a love triangle, certainly for two out of the however many for Eclipse and New Moon and then to okay. resolve it. And I don't think it's resolved... No, I think it is resolved, but then they try to do it in this as well. And I'll tell okay, so here's the thing that I think sort of leans into that. The marketing. When you Google this and the posters that come up, and there are lots of different posters, it is always like Bella and Edward looking at each other with the face of a wolf staring out beneath them. Or mm-hmm. you know, her with Or them Bella and e- Edward on one side and Jacob on the other. Well, no, her it's usually her centre and them equally either side of her. I don't think it leans into it's a couple and a single, it's her and two guys. And it's just, everything seems to be trying to take it in this direction, including some of the stuff they've included, which perhaps take away. So? I mean, their marketing department knew what was going to sell. Mm-hmm. I, you have to give them that. And, and, and yeah, so that's that's coming back to, it's not for me. You know, I, I do not read romance stories to, to put myself in the place of the heroine and, you know, right, come out right. with that thing and, and look for a person in, in that way. Um, because of, I, I don't know why. It's just that's not... Why is You're it? just not the target demographic. Exactly. It's just fine. Exactly. I want to go into the whole thing of what you read growing up and how it influences you and the stories you're given and so on. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's just personality. I'm not the person to say. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I am exactly like these books are exactly my brand of heroin. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Mold them up, inject them directly into your veins. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so that's the sort of thing I would point to. I don't want to go through and take out absolutely everything that I think needs to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a bit of a problem with with Bella in general which I think we might come to. So perhaps we'll get into her more 
as a thing shortly. Um, okay. I think for me, part of the issue is the vampires are the most interesting bit, and this film spends very little time on vampires. This saga, sorry, spends very little time on vampires as a larger concept. Okay. Did the the world building of the vampires, the expansion of the vampire world in these two movies help that at all for you? Was that interesting to you? Yes. Yeah. I think I think seeing how other people live was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um and and some of the other things except execution. <laughs> Cuz Okay. Did you know there's that guy who fought the British? Do you know that he fought the British? Hey, he makes comments about fighting the British. Every single sentence he says is some reference to, no, I don't don't drink tea, I throw it in harbours. No, I hate people in red coats. No, I... It just felt I, I like... I don't even remember him. <laughs> there, there, was, there was one of the guys that they recruit who is... Uh, the line of, like, you know, he fought at Yorktown or something. Right, okay. Uh, I'll tell you what it reminds me of. There's a line... Oh, in fact, I might even... I might have said this on a previous podcast like this. There's a line from another film about it's like you are uh, it's like those guys who are in a band who once opened for Nirvana and they just mention it every time they they can now. And it's a little bit like that. This guy fought in the War of Independence and now just brings up every single bloody time. So there's stuff like that. Like they were kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Except they're also blooming annoying. <laughs> blooming annoying. Okay. Blooming annoying. Yeah, maybe he was. I honestly don't remember him. He's not. He's not one of the things that make this movie memorable for me. So. Mm. Like I, I quite liked, and this is where it gets into a little bit the kind of sort of stories for kids. Okay. The fact that you turn into a vampire and you get a power. <laughs> it feels like something my nephew would love. Like, the the, the kind of um, Bionicle, Ninjago, mm-hmm. it, you know, you become a superhero and you get some sort of power that does a thing. I, I, I quite like the introduction of powers to the vampire mythology, except mm-hmm. when you expand it this much and it's like... She's the elemental vampire, or he's the elemental vampire, and she's the electricity vampire, and somewhere there's probably a fire vampire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and not all vampires have powers. Like, Esme didn't. Yeah, that's the thing that was really weird, because I did start going through, and like, so is it supposed to be that Emmett's power is he's really strong, and Carlisle is really fast, and or is it that they just don't have powers? They just don't all have powers. So again, did she just invent powers for vampires halfway through when she went, Bella could be a shield? No, I mean, because Edward had powers up front. Okay, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Like, from the beginning. So. Which is a fairly vampiric power. Yes, mind reading. To be fair, so. Um, but then they introduced Alice pretty close on the heels of that, of yeah. seeing the future. Yeah. So. But yeah, it's strange that she didn't go all out with every vampire gets a power. And it's just that their their powers are, you know, Carlisle's really smart and can resist blood really well, or mm-hmm. you know something. Um, Esme's power is that she cooks really good brownies. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Which I would take if that was my power. <laughs> okay. 
You know how we always talk about Chekhov's gun? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that if you set up something in Act 1, if you hang mm-hmm. an axe on the wall in Act 1 and say, I'm going to hang this axe here. I hope no one bumps into it in Act 3 and needs to hit someone on the head. That right. Idea. Him suddenly producing a blooming giant horse syringe <laughs> full of his venom and injecting her was just a bit, this is why Chekhov's gun exists as a concept. Because okay. him to suddenly bring it out and say, it's full of my venom. Like, why did we not have a moment earlier of Carlisle going, hey, you need to express venom so that we can inject it into him. That'll work even faster. Hmm. It just... Okay. I honestly I now can't gonna... remember if they if they did that in the book, if they set it up in the book. I'm right. not sure. Like I feel like they did, but I can't guarantee. I and it it feels like it was one of those things that if they did, it just got, you know, laid to the side because there was so much they were trying to cream in. Mm. You know, Poss- so much things that you think don't need to be there. Yeah. Well, I, I don't <laughs> think that syringe thing needs to be there. I mean, they're, they're doing the thing that it's supposed to work really well, and then he bites her anyway. But he might as well, well just have bit her, so. So I think it's because he didn't want to bite her. Right. I think that's why it was there. And then he ends up biting her to give her more, and mm. because he thinks she's dead. Mm. You know, and he's frantically trying to save her, which is why he starts biting her. But I'm not sure all of, like, that logic was clear. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you didn't like the syringe? It stood out to me as like a, this is why we talk about this thing. This is what I'm going to now point to and say, this is why we do it. Because it's weird okay. when you don't. And it's so funny because it, I, I think it's just such a staple that you don't even know it's there. That The whole thing of, e- even in a short way, two guys get into a fight. The camera will often track the gun if the gun is then going to be picked up and used. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. because it tracks it, you know it's going to be picked up and used. But if they didn't do it, they'd be like, "Oh, that was lucky that he landed near the gun." Right. Okay. So you know, okay. you don't even notice it when it's done. You notice it when it's not there. Um, okay. The birthing sequence, though. Now, I I obviously didn't know how graphic this story was or was supposed to be, mm-hmm. and I've read scenes of people being not sure how they were going to do this and that it should be actually rated R and so on. I think by and large, they've actually done very well because I think it was a PG-13. Mm-hmm. I think they've done very well, actually. This There is a, is a lot of mature elements to the story. There's a lot of graphic elements to the story, but, but somehow they've clearly kept it to the rating that it should be. And Yeah, they did. I mean, so they showed like her back cracking. Oh, yeah, and that then... was graphic. That that was honestly though, but that was the most graphic thing. We got a little bit of blood, and then we just kept getting flickers of like her face and her screaming. And um, I I think the way they did it, it was executed very well, and still relayed how traumatic this experience was. Yeah. I mean, we got Jazzy's story right; like it was Absolutely. traumatic for her, mm. which I can see that being pregnant and in the sky. <laughs> you know that, uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, I agree. I think I think mm. they actually did it really well. I did wonder why he had to bite the baby out of her. That was a bit weird. <laughs> I think part of that is just poor planning on the Cullens' part, and part of it is <laughs> because I mean because they already knew like 
And Carlisle had already set this up because he had the line. They couldn't do tests on the baby. They didn't know if it was mm-hmm. a boy or a girl because nothing would penetrate the placenta. They couldn't mm-hmm. do needles. They couldn't do anything. So mm-hmm. when it was time for the baby to be born, the baby is clearly not coming out the natural way. Like, it's coming out however it can come out. It's breaking spines. It's, like, yep. eating her yep. from the inside. And so um, Edward, that's his name. <laughs> I almost said Robert. <laughs> Ebe. <laughs> You know, so Edward's panicking, and he does the only thing he can think of to do. His teeth will tear it. And so he uses his teeth to get the baby out, because baby had to come out now, or she was going to die. Okay. I think it's the biting that gets me. Well, that's what I mean, though, by poor planning from the Collins, because you think they would have been prepared, and they, they should have been prepared, that this was not going to be a natural birth. They already knew nothing would penetrate the placenta, so they they should have had something ready. Mm. And maybe Carlisle did, but since he wasn't there, Edward was just panicking and Edward mm-hmm. wasn't prepared? I'm not sure. Okay, yeah, so maybe... But he bites the baby. <laughs> okay, this is the thing. <laughs> Let's go back to Twilight 1. The okay. OG Twilight. His whole weird bit of like, do you think you could beat me? And he smashes a tree down. Like, th- this guy's quite strong. Why is he biting the baby out of her? You know? Because well, he's not biting the baby. No, but he's got... Oh, he why is he tear like, her not open. tearing her? Okay. I, mean, I mean, you know, tearing sounds more graphic than biting. I will give yes. it that. But at the same time, he's got to make a hole in her. Why is he biting? Oh, God. <laughs> you know? You know, that's, if somebody ever has to put a hole in me and they have a choice between biting and tearing, I'm going to want them to choose biting. I'm just going to put that out there. If I ever have a vampire hybrid baby, please bite it out of me. I promise. Um, Quotes for the ages. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah, it just... I wasn't sure what he was doing. I think because it also comes fairly close on the back of possibly licking the scalpel or thinking about licking the scalpel. The girl, the blonde. Well, Rosalie, she didn't want to lick the scalpel, but she was affected by the blood. Okay. They set it up that she's got the blood and she's thinking about tasting it. So. Yes, but they were showing the blood on the scalpel. I read it as there's blood and it's affecting her. Like she wants to stick her face in it. Yes. So, so, so when you suddenly see him sticking his face into it and coming up bloody, <laughs> I'm just like, wait, what? <laughs> okay, that's fair. <laughs> it's such a weird sequence. It's so it is a weird sequence. It absolutely is. But I, I mean, yeah, the, the other alternative is to just tear it but i feel like there's more likelihood that he would actually kill bella doing that right okay like kill kill her Mm. not incapacitate her until she can become a vampire right yeah okay so we have i think three things three key things to cover bella this being two films and the fight i will let you pick where we go next um well, we've kind of already covered this being two films, so let's let's close that loop out. Okay. I mean, because we talked about the whole saga and how you would take 
take things out. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, well, okay. Let's let's on the two films thing. This would have worked better for me if it was called Twilight Saga: Breaking Dawn and Twilight Saga: Morning Sun, Midnight Sun. You, you know, some other moon right. and sun and darkness reference. Okay. Black, black hole sun, you know, something. If they had treated them as two utterly separate films, and at the end, it seemed like Bella had died, and then you suddenly see her become a vampire, film over. Not as, this is part one and we're going to continue it. Oh, so you you you're talking about titles, not necessarily the actual content. Like you would have been okay with keeping uh, the content the same, apart from the things we've already talked about. But yeah, yeah. take out half the an hour, put in so another half hour of other good stuff, and and <laughs> right, yeah. But having so doing kind of more well, mm-hmm. almost mm-hmm. the opposite of what they did with Avengers, because Avengers they specifically said it's not a part one and a part two, and we're going to give them two separate names, and then it. It was literally to be continued. I, I think much more akin to that because I think you can treat them as two separate films. I'm not sure I'm going to go back and watch Infinity War on its own anymore. But right. I could watch Endgame on its own without feeling I'm coming in halfway through a story. Right. Okay. Maybe. Um, I, and I feel like if this was the film that was the story of their wedding and they have a child and she becomes a vampire, and then we had a story that was dealing with the ramifications of what had happened in film four. Okay. I I, I think I would have quite dug it. I think okay. saying we are doing part one and part two, mm-hmm. certainly for me as a, an, you know, an outside outsider coming to this, not having read the story, not knowing what was actually going to come completely across them. Um, I think it set up certain expectations to not really pay too much attention to that first one, knowing that, it was only telling part of a story that was going to come good later on. Okay. I feel like, as I mean, as far as the title goes, their hands were tied since it was literally a single book that they split into nah. two. Nah, they could have called it two, th- two different things. Yeah. Do you feel that way about Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows as well? There was a... Yes, maybe. I can't remember those films. The, okay. Uh, the the last Harry Potter films are the ones I did not see at the cinema. So. Um, oh, okay. Uh, All right. I mean, there are other similarities to the Harry Potter franchise, such as introducing big world building elements at the very end that you perhaps should have laid down sooner if you were really going to use them. But fine. But yes, there is the direct similarity of taking a last book and splitting it in two and saying we're going to release it as two movies as a mm-hmm. blatant cash grab. Peter Jackson. Um, well, I mean, the alternative would have been to have a single movie that was three hours long. And I don't think they wanted to do that. I don't think they wanted to do it. I think they wanted two movies to make double the, the amount of money. Because, you know, they made $1.5 some somewhere around that right. between these two movies. For I just don't think I'm that yeah. cynical. I mean, their target audience is teenagers. Like tweens and teenagers. And they're not going to sit through a three-hour movie. No, absolutely. So that's why they, they split it into two and said it was going to split into two. I I feel like the stories would have been better if it would have been no, we're gonna we're gonna make these into two wholly separate things. We are going okay. to change elements of the book. Because I think there is also scope for saying this is an adaptation. It's not necessarily mm-hmm. exactly gonna be put on screen. We're gonna we're gonna change right. things to make it more cinematic. 
yeah. he says, setting up a segue. I mean, they could Watch have. They segue have... in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they have enough source material to actually add things that would make sense because we have mm-hmm. the novella, The Short Second Life of Brie Tanner. We mm-hmm. could have had some of that. You know, mm-hmm. we have Midnight Sun, which is Twilight from Edward's perspective. Mm-hmm. We could have had some of that instead of staying with Bella the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right. That is a choice they could have made that would have made it better. But I still I, like it the way it okay. is. Okay. How, how do you think it works opening on, uh, closing on her becoming a vampire? Oh, I love it. Yeah? Oh, I love it. Those eyes, I love it. Would it have been stronger if that was the opening moment of film two? No, I don't think okay. so. Okay. I think you needed that, needed that at the end of, especially okay. since there was so much time between the two. Like you needed mm. that reason to be excited about the next one. Like we're finally okay. going to get to see Vampire Bella. I, I again, I feel like watching it. If I'd seen it and gone, they're implying she's dead, like dead, dead. They're not even, you know, they're setting up. She's about to open her eyes and then she doesn't. Oh, that's interesting. You know, are are they going to do something different? Are they going to? Yeah, but I mean, at that point, though, we had already seen like her body had physically changed. She was healthy looking again. Mm. Like her face Mm. filled in. Her eyelashes suddenly had natural mascara on them. (laughs) Her hair changed color and, you know, like got full (laughs) again. So there was no way after showing us her physical transformation before she woke up that they weren't going to do that. Okay. So they would have had to have ended it essentially i think with bella holding the baby they would have had to have ended it there right and then we would pick up with edward panicking because all of a sudden she's gone limp okay okay but is there a way of doing it to imply she's dead he bites her she does not seem to come back you know maybe even show some of that internal stuff which why are we seeing all the internal stuff of her turning into a vampire when she's not turning into a vampire oh because it takes her a while to wake up is that what they're saying well, the transformation takes a while. Okay. So they okay. were showing us that it is actually happening. Okay. Even though she's not getting up. Yeah, I... I uh, and I, obviously, they didn't do this, so I don't know if it's right, but I would have quite liked it if they implied she died. And particularly if there was stuff around, she's only contracted for four films. You know, that sort of hint. Oh, Reminiscent of The Search for Spock. You know, the thing that mm. it got leaked that Spock was... Spoilers for the search of Spock, if you've never seen not search of Spock, the return of the Wrath of Khan. Let's try that again. Spoilers for the Wrath of Khan, if you've not seen it. Um, it got leaked that Spock was going to die, so they wrote him a death sequence in the opening moments of the film, and then revealed it wasn't true. So it threw people off when they were actually watching it. If there had been some sort of real world thing of like, yeah, no, Bella's dead. She's done. There's some flashbacks with her. That's all we're going to see in the thing, this kind of thing. And then it opens with like, oh no, holy shit, she's a vampire. Oh, they led us on a merry chase. But Maybe. If this story only existed in movie format, yes, that could have worked, but That's fair. Didn't. That's fair. Mm. So hard because you're serving two audiences and I'm coming as the audience that you're not. I know. Yeah, yeah, it is hard. Mm. Okay. Um, Um but talking about making changes from the book to the film. Okay. Did you see what I'm doing there? Maybe. <laughs> there is one big change that this this film makes 
over what happens in the book. It does. Bit of a kerfuffle at the end. Which I had great delight, because Catherine did not watch these with me. I had great delight in telling her what happens at the end of the film. And her going, they kill Carlisle. So my response to here was that it was so long between the book and the movie that I forgot it was all a vision. And so when I when I watched the movie the first time, I I damn near panicked when Carlisle died. Okay, right. Even though in the book, it it is clear that it was a vision and that fight wasn't there, even though the fight wasn't there. Mm -hmm. It wasn't there. Right. They came out of it peaceful. Um. Wow, yeah. it's been a long time since I've read the books, and I guess I'm con- really super conflating the movies with the books. Clearly, and and that's a good thing. You know, it's hard to go back and le- read Lord of the Rings now, because most of what got left out got left out for a reason. You know, the best of right. it is in those films. So, awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, knowing that it hasn't got the scouring of the shower and the scour- scouring of the shire is the best bit of the books, but fine. Um, Did you know that I'm wearing a Middle, e- uh, Middle Earth scarf right now? Oh, you are, aren't you? Awesome. I am. Good on you. <laughs> I'm wearing a Chicago Cubs, Chicago Cubs t-shirt. <laughs> Good. My scarf is cooler. Your Sorry. scarf is much cooler. So yeah, so describing the fight to Catherine was quite fun because she was like, "Oh my god, they've utterly changed the the, the oh, okay. to introduce yeah. all of this and everyone dies and all of this cool stuff and so on." Mm-hmm. And then when it turns out it's a fake out, it's like, "Oh, that's really good, actually." And I flip-flopped on it for a while, thinking about it. Okay. Seeing this generally quite good fight. I I, I will say the effects are a good element of these films. And then for it suddenly to be like, oh no, it's just in their mind. And that he sees that he's about to die if he does this thing. It felt a bit cheap to start with. It felt a bit like, oh, you know. You're trying to have it both ways. But the more I think about it, and particularly I think knowing that in the book it doesn't happen. Because in the book, that's quite a good conclusion. Because frankly, fantasy writing of of action is not the most fun. He swung his sword and he blocked a thing and he did a thing and then he did a thing and this person <laughs> did a thing. And they looked over and saw this person doing that. It's it's not great. Okay. That, that, that sort of writing... Mm-hmm. I. And not certain Stephanie Meyer is the writer for it, but I've not read her books, so who knows? She's not the writer for it. I suspect she's good at the romance aspect better than she is the uh, action bit. However, on a film, if they'd had this hour and a half of getting people together and training and getting skills and seeing Remy Malik, because Remy Malik's in this film, yeah, seeing Remy Malik using this cool power, seeing the girl who looks like Elizabeth Mitchell but isn't Elizabeth Mitchell using her power, and then suddenly they got there and, hey, Alice is back in the movie and everything's finished now, would have been a little lackluster. So they changed it, and I applaud right. them for changing it. And this is why I am prepared to look at the rest of all of these and go, what could they have changed? Could they have mm-hmm. changed the way the two films are structured? Could they have changed the ending of them? Could they have done stuff to make it a stronger movie? Okay. And, and I think yeah. the fight is the right choice. I think getting to see this, because it's probably a good 20 minutes of the film. Yeah. You know, yeah. It goes on a good long time. Uh, and what sold it to me was I thought Carlisle was going to die. Watching this film and some of his interactions with the people around him, I'm like, they're setting him up to die. There are, oh, interesting. There, there are moments they're doing with him, getting to say goodbye to people, passing on wisdom, being 
happy paternal type. Mm-hmm. He is no longer needed. I think is is it Esme his wife? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Esme and even Rosalie and you know some of the other people in in the coven are not important enough for us to really mourn if they die. Okay, we'd, we'd be sad. Mm-hmm. You know, Emmett going down under a hail of arrows, that kind of thing, would be acceptable. It would be a just just thing. But Carlisle is such an important part of all of it, of the right. whole mythology. For him to die would have been quite a, oh my God, that's a moment. So when yeah. he does die and you see his head pulled off, it's like, yes, they are doing this. They are actually going to give me this fight. <laughs> and then they didn't. And then they didn't. But but I I buy it in both directions. I think actually it works quite well. Okay. I, I love the start of it. I love Alice going over and then that moment where she turns and just whispers and goes, now. Yeah. And it starts and it's just, you know, you want that moment the battle commences, this kind of thing. I'm so excited that there's something about this movie that excites you. Yeah, it was it was good. I, I applaud them for what they did there. Okay. Um, That's exciting. I could have done with less... Fighter A jumps in the air, fighter B jumps and grabs them. Which mm. is most of what happens in the Twilight films, I realised watching this, because it happens like five, six times through the fight. <laughs> yeah. I did quite enjoy mm. Edward throwing Bella at Arrow. Yeah, yeah, that was nice. <laughs> like, just picking her up and using her as the weapon. Yeah. I thought that was great. That was very good. Yeah, and there was some cool stuff in there. Um and actually t- telling Catherine about it, talking her through stage by stage of the battle and telling her that Sam died. And I only know it's Sam because I said, oh, yeah, the young wolf guy. And she was like, Seth, Seth, sorry. You see, I am so bad with names. But telling her the young wolf guy and she's like, not him. Oh, <laughs> like, you know, they actually did some brave stuff with it. It was really good. Yeah. And then and then you still don't have to actually watch them die anyway. So, yeah. OK. Hmm. All right, so let's go back to your very, very first point that we haven't actually said. It's your first point in our okay. outline. Okay. And I want to I want to dig into this a little bit. Mm. So this is much longer than a conversation than I expected it to be. <laughs> but there's a lot of content to discuss. The series, is, the saga, is about Bella. Yes, she is a central character. She is the main one, and I feel like. I waited the entire saga for her to have agency and and really come into her own. And I don't think it ever happened. I don't okay. think. I'm I'm going to tailor this because I've done a lot of thinking. I've done a lot of talking to people because I know it's a stereotypical thing. It's easy to crap on some of this stuff. Um, and be dismissive of it. It's difficult because it is a heroine who always gets stick when, you know, women are the centre of a film, written by a woman, played by a woman that people give a lot of stick to for reasons they shouldn't. And an actress, okay. uh, uh, you know, Kristen Stewart, I quite admire and I like her very much. So I'm trying not to be that person. Okay. So it's not absolute. There are things in here that, that absolutely, yes... Sh- imply better for her but i feel like even by film five we've still got bella is being told and explained things by other people she is not she's not 
making decisions and driving the plot forward. She's not doing things that reconcile the plot. She's not interacting with the story and, and being the central figure who actually resolves stuff. And the, and the times that she does, it's because of what other people have done. And you would think by film five, I accept it for films one and two, and maybe even film three, frankly, because she's learning about werewolves and vampires and the mystical world. And she's learned, she, she is a young person herself. So she's learning about the world. You know, some of this is still a coming of age story, of course, you know, about growing up. Um, so I can accept that every new thing that's introduced, she's the person that we're following to find out about that thing. But even when she wakes up as a vampire, we're still, people are explaining what her daughter is. People are explaining why Jacob's done what he's done. They're explaining what the Volturi are doing and why the Volturi are doing it. They're explaining about the people they're going and finding and why they're doing that thing. Even, okay, Alice. Alice disappears. Mm -hmm. And Alice leaves a note for them. She has to go. She knows that Arrow's coming after her. Arrow. And... (laughs) He, she, ha- she has to go to try to help them, and she leaves a clue, a secret clue that only Bella can work out because Bella's so smart to turn the page over and see what book the note was taken from. <laughs> that that bit of narration of she left me the secret so that only I could work it out. No, no, we were all there as soon as you turned the page over and saw it was the Merchant of Venice. Come on. She then goes, she's like, finds this note about finding this person. She's like, right, I'm going to go and find that person. I'm going to Vancouver to go and find that person. So she goes and does it and she meets him. And even then, he is having to explain to her what she's being given. The fact she's being given travel documents and it's only for the two of them and so on. Like, even her moment of action of sneaking off and going and doing something that will impact the film is still driven by something Alice has done. And... She doesn't actually know what she's doing. Okay, I can't dispute that one. I understand <laughs> it, though, because Alice can see the future. And so she's mm. she didn't have time to like let Bella in on everything. So she no. just set it up and sent Bella to figure it out. And that's absolutely Bella fine. Bella figured it out. Bella did figure it out by turning the bit of paper over. <sighs> Everybody else probably saw that it was also written in The Merchant of Venice, but nobody else thought to go actually look at the book. Super smart vampire dudes. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. So you said a lot of things about on, Bella yeah, not having agency and her life is basically tell me if I'm getting this wrong. You think her life is basically a reaction to those around her. Yeah, her as a character. Yeah, definitely. Okay. I disagree. Okay. I wholeheartedly disagree. How dare you? Um I know. It's <laughs> terrible. You know, and I, I've done a lot of reading about this this mm-hmm. week. Um, I've talked yep. to Joseph about it a lot, um, trying to figure out kind of really where I fall on this and why. Right. Um, I've I've read people who feel the same way you do, people who say this is absolutely an anti-feminist story, <laughs> that, that Bella is everything a woman should never be, and this is oppression and it's the patriarchy and all... All of that okay. stuff. I mean, that's a you little know, far, there's, okay. there's people who have who have that perspective. Mm-hmm. And then I think there are some people who are less militant about it, less fanatical about it, mm-hmm. kind of like you, who just kind of don't think Bella is a fully formed character. Mm-hmm. And then there's 
people like me who this story wouldn't exist without Bella. The entire story is about Bella's choices specifically, okay. like her choices and her agency drive the plot and drive the story. Mm. And um, I found, and, and I'm, I'll, I'll talk about this actually a little bit more. After I wrote that, I went looking to see what people who write better than I do might have said <laughs> about this topic because I just have like spurts of ideas and feelings. <laughs> and I found somebody at Lehigh University did their thesis on Bella and Twilight. And it's called Why is Everyone Hating on Bella? Choice, Feminism, and Free Agency in the Twilight Saga. And hopefully, Matthew, you will link to this in the show notes. Oh, absolutely. It's a like 50 plus page PDF. Yep. Let's credit Bryn Buzzcook as having Mm -hmm. written it. Yes. And I was reading it and I just kept going, wow, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll, I'll get into some of that in just a minute. Um, but I also started asking some of our friends mm. um, on Facebook and Twitter. Good. And um, Kate Met on Twitter said, there are many valid criticisms of Twilight, but it does bear pointing out that all of the conflict stems from people not listening to the protagonist and what she wants. All of the conflict is resolved by ultimately giving her what she wants. That's fairly feminist, even if she's making choices we disagree with. Okay. 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 And I think that's, that is part of, if you get to the point where you agree that, yes, Bella is making choices. Like, she chooses Edward from the beginning. Like, she's clearly set up. Like, Charlie wants her to be with Jacob. He's pushing her towards Jacob. She meets Edward, and she's all in. Right away. Before she even knows he's a vampire, she's all in. Then she finds out he's a vampire. He warns her off. He says, I'm dangerous for you. And she says, no, I want you. And she pursues him until he gives in, essentially. Um, people point to her um, being a victim of James at the end of Twilight. You've actually brought this up several times. Okay. Through the course, like she's James is trying to kill her and then mm-hmm. Victoria is trying to kill her mm-hmm. and, you know, that that whole thread. But Bella makes the choice to go away, to get him away from the Collins. She is trying to protect them. That is her choice. Mm. So she, yes, becomes a victim. She puts herself in that place. Okay. Because from her perspective, she is being heroic, I guess. Like she knows she's going to die. But they're not, and her mom is going to be safe. She's trying to save her mom and all of that stuff. Right. And then um, it just – for me, it's like it, each book progressively does that. Every thread that we get in Bella's life is a choice that she makes. Um, hang on. I actually have – Bella chooses to become a vampire. Like that was always her choice. Edward was trying to talk her out of it the entire time. Jacob's trying to talk her out of it. And she's very adamant, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Bella chose to have her baby, even though everybody's telling her, don't do this, it's going to kill you. You shouldn't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, Bella wanted to have sex before she was a vampire. Yep. 
I mean, I know it's about sex, but, you know, Bella has a lot of sexual freedom and sexual agency. Oh, ab- no, I'm, I'm not. Absolutely. I'm not laughing over that. I'm okay. laughing over she wants to do that, but they can't do it until they're married. That's Edward. Let's let's, let's get into the religion a bit later. Of <laughs> okay, Stephanie but, Meyer, but to be fair, know. that's Edward, and that no, was a Stephanie compromise. Meyer. That is all that, Stephanie Meyer. Yes, that Meyer. is Stephanie yeah. Meyer. But yeah, <laughs> um, you know, she even early on, like in Twilight, like she is aggressively pursuing him physically, and he has to tell her, Bella, stop taking your clothes off. Because he doesn't want to do that, and she is trying to do that. Like, she knows what she wants, and she is mm. trying to get it. And I see that thread all the way through. And then um, I, I was reading the paper that we just referenced by Brent, and I learned something, some things about feminism that I actually didn't know. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not an educated feminist. I just know that oh. I am a feminist, <laughs> and I support women's equality. Absolutely. Um, so I learned from reading this that feminism is divided into like different camps or eras. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's second different wave waves. feminism. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I didn't know that. I don't think I've ever heard second wave and third wave feminism. Mm. So second wave feminism is what we most traditionally view as femini- feminism. It began in the 60s and 70s and spoke largely about the origins of women's oppression, the nature of gender, and the role of family. Mm-hmm. Um, it ended up being broken into three mainstreams. Liberal, whose goal was to integrate women more thoroughly into the power structure and give women equal access to positions men had traditionally dominated. Radical, which aimed to reshape society and restructure its institutions, which they saw as inherently patriarchal. And cultural, which rejected the notion that men and women are intrinsically the same and advocated celebrating the qualities they associated with women. So that's kind of when you hear, like, I've always heard, like, radical feminism and feminism kind of always intertwined. And so I didn't really know Mm -hmm. that it was really more nuanced than that. Mm -hmm. And most of the discourse I've found online of folks who are arguing against Twilight being a good feminist story mm-hmm. come from that camp. And I, I can okay. see that. Yep. I, I can absolutely see that. So third wave feminism, which I didn't know was a thing, mm. turns out I am a third wave feminist. Absolutely. James. It emerged in the mid-1990s. And according to Encyclopedia Britannica, which is where I was reading about <laughs> all of this stuff, um, influenced by the postmodernist movement in the academy, third wave feminists sought to question, reclaim, and redefine the ideas, words, and media that have transmitted ideas about womanhood, gender, beauty, sexuality, femininity, and masculinity, among other things. So I summed this all up. I was explaining it to Joseph, and I said, second wave feminists say women can't choose to have a traditional gender role because gender roles are inherently oppressive. Yeah. And third wave mm-hmm. feminism says women have the power to choose whatever the fuck they want even if it's to live in a traditional gender role. Absolutely. And so I look at the story through the lens of third-wave fem- feminism. Okay. Bella made all of these choices. And whether we agree with those choices or not, it's kind of what Kate just said. She made the choice. She did what she wanted to do. Hmm. And I see that happening again and again and again. And Bella went from this you know, clumsy kind of meek girl at the beginning of the first Twilight to the strongest person in the mm-hmm. entire series by the end of it. And watching, that's actually more clear in the books than it is in the movie. Okay. But, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of those things, I think, make me love the story even more than I did. Like learning more about feminism and kind mm-hmm. of where I stand on that spectrum. Right. And seeing 
how all of these threads can be applied to the story just made me like relate to it and enjoy it even more. And so that's, and that's why good. I disagree mm. with you. And I am sorry. I just gave everybody a lesson <laughs> in feminism. No, and, and it's important stuff. I, th- I think that is absolutely the modern take on it. If you want to, uh, th- there is no difference between someone who does not have children and pursues a career, does not have children, pursues a voluntary career, doctorate, whatever they want to do, has children, stays at home, does it all. Mm-hmm. It, they are all equal and open opportunities because the point is you should be able to choose whatever you want to do, frankly. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. I, I'm still not 100% I totally back that Bella makes the choices. Okay. Entirely. Certainly she's not the only one making choices. Um, and, and like I say, it's not even an absolute thing. It's not like she makes no choices and nothing she does. But there are times that the the example I gave, the whole passport thing, that was the one that jumped out to me from these of like, oh, she's actually doing something. Finally, Bella's going to get to go and do the thing. <laughs> but even that didn't quite come to any, anything. And I think the times when Bella does get to do stuff, it is Bella exceptionalism over anything else. It is, she's a shield. Perhaps she could learn to protect people. Can people learn to do this sort of thing? Well, if they practice for, for years and years, maybe they can hone their skill. She's done it in a day. Because Bella, she's a newbie. She's going to want to hunt people and it's going to be awful. But she doesn't. She's able to get over it because she's Bella. And 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 that's the the aspect of it, of her as a character needing to be something of a tabula rasa, a bit of a blank slate mm-hmm. that you can project yourself onto and want to be at the same time. It's the okay. reason the Master Chief wears a helmet in the Halo series. Because it makes it easier for you to go, I'm a super soldier gunning down aliens. <laughs> You know, okay. and this is this is the romance equivalent of having someone you can sort of, you know, hey, I was kind of awkward and clumsy as a teen. I can put myself in that, you know, and, and people right. were, most people were. So awesome. Great. It works. Mm-hmm. And this is where I'm saying there's bits that Stephanie Meyer writes that are okay, fine. I'm not even sure I'm thinking of it on, on a feminist term. And that's probably the thing. And because I don't want to come at it as a she's a terrible woman and this is a terrible thing to tell to women because every opportunity and everything should be open. As a character watching in this, these stories, it's just frustrating that I feel like the person I'm most supposed to want to be, to support, mm-hmm. I just feel like I've watched her go through other people's stories. And this this is the, the thing I think I said in that very first episode about Twilight. I mm-hmm. wish this was the story of the Cullens. Okay. And the, the story of the Coven. And... Bella is our way into that, mm-hmm. but that we're following them a lot more and mm. and seeing their choices driving it and so on. Uh, the 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 uh, Here's an equivalent. Have you seen Inception? Yes. Okay. Inception does this really well. Um, it is... Oh, I can't remember the, the actress's name. Ariadne in those films. They do not explain anything that's happening until she gets introduced and she comes on to help them develop their thing. And that's when you suddenly get the explanation of the dream world and what happens and how it runs and and how to operate it. And she's our way in to understand what goes on, but we're following other people's stories. Okay. But she's our audience surrogate to help to understand it. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's something in that sort of technique that yes, Bella is our way of understanding the world, but we're actually getting to see the people who do have more of an impact on it. Okay. But I'm not the target audience for this. 
and it's not a story else. I would normally watch. So, so I'm, I don't, you know, I don't want to tear it apart. I don't want to say it's it's terrible and awful and so on. But if you're asking me my opinion on it, I really wish Bella had just, just in these stories at some point, not had to have things explained to her. And just have known something or done something or... Like, the, the, the fight that we just talked about is really good and it's great and I love the setup for it. And I love that it turns out that it's Alice projecting what she's seen so that he can understand it. That's Alice resolving this conflict. This mm-hmm. story would be really interesting from Alice's perspective. All the setup mm-hmm. she does, disappearing off, planning, what yeah. she sees and how she interprets it, because maybe she had to take time to interpret it or something, and her mm-hmm. planning behind it. But we don't get to see that. We get to see Bella and Jacob having it out. It all comes back to Jacob, okay. frankly. <laughs> oh, it does not. <laughs> um, to be fair, go on. Bella figured out that Edward was a vampire. By herself. Because he stopped a car and kissed a fish. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. But, You're forever going to associate this with kissing a oh, fish. Oh, dude, you kissed a fish. He stopped a car. It's not that she figured it out. All right. You know? Okay. The the thing it comes back to me about, the thing that we talked about on the last episode, is Brie Tanner. Mm-hmm. Was it the last episode? Episode before? It was the last one. Those two films. Eclipse. I have no idea what the difference between them is, largely. Um, <laughs> I do. Edward goes off in one and, and the newbies attack in the other. But Yeah. Okay. Brie Tanner. If they had introduced a younger, newer character to this world that Bella could explain things to. I would really like it. I would really like to see her okay. developing more into it and, and for it yeah. to stop being. Now we're introducing vampires with new things. With uh, Now we've got an, a, a, a sort of weird Dracula version of the Volturi and we have to explain who they are. Mm-hmm. Okay. If it just, it was someone else taking some of that off her. Maybe it would have felt better. And, you know, we are getting to see her doing something. And are seeing, like, yes, absolutely, she's grown from being this slightly clumsy, slightly timid girl into someone who knows what's going on and is prepared to take a vampire under her wing and help her and become friends with her despite the fact she's human. Okay. That's, those are, that's, mm. that's fair. Mm. Did you have any favorite moments? I mean, obviously... The fight it was apparently something you enjoyed. Was there anything else that you enjoyed? The the fight's really good. I, yeah, the, the setup on Carlisle absolutely sold me on it. I thought, because, yeah, if you're going to set up, if you are going to set up in Act 1 that there's going to be a big fight in Act 3, you need to have a big fight in Act 3 in a film. Okay. In a book, you don't need to do it. Cause, but in a mm-hmm. book, you have time. You have nothing but time to describe what's going right. on. So you don't have to set up the gun 200 pages earlier. You could do it mm-hmm. a couple of pages before. Fine. Anyway, what did I like about this? I still like the effects. I still think they're really okay. good. I, I think it made me appreciate the effects on the Flash more because when they were doing her super speed, they don't okay. do the electricity and wind whipping thing that they do on the Flash. Right. And I think without that, it makes it a bit like it, it's just a, a detailed nuance to right. thing. But there were moments in this that I had to rewind going... Oh, actually, that's really good. When okay. he, they're in Brazil 
and he picks her up on the waterfall and jumps in with her. And mm-hmm. they're kissing in the water, and then he dives under, and he suddenly emerges at the very front of the screen. And she's mm-hmm. at the back of the screen. The water is not disturbed. We're not seeing two shots overlaid. We're not seeing a, a weird cut in her. I cannot see the join of the bit where they filmed him going underwater and the bit where they filmed him coming up from water. It is, okay. it is really effectively done. And that's just one moment, but by and large, mm-hmm. the effects are really good in this thing. I, I feel like they got better over the course of the franchise. Mm. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah, we we don't have him. Do you think you can beat me? <laughs> Smashing trees and running fast and jumping high. Arr. Um, it has reminded me of one of the little things that pulled me out of it: the fact that a day or two after her wedding, and she appears to be sh- shaving her legs. That makes perfect sense to me. Mm. Okay. Okay. As a girl, that makes perfect that, sense to me. That was a bit I watched with Catherine, who also was like, because eh. my moment she's was like, ready to be naked with him for the first time. Yes, yeah, she's shaving her legs. Okay, okay, but that does bring us into the male gaze, and I was really worried going into this bit because they set up that she's only got the skimpy lingerie, that she's doing all this. Mm-hmm. Getting sexy, getting ready to have sex and being sexy type moment. Okay. And then they don't do that. Well, because we're not putting music in anymore. So otherwise I would put in the getting ready, getting sexy ready song. That's fair. Crazy as girlfriend. But I'm just, I can't even remember how to sing. You just have to sing everything now. Yeah, yeah. This is my sexy getting ready song. My sexy getting ready song. Um... I don't think they do the male gaze in this film, except for two moments. And they could. They absolutely could have Kristen Stewart going around in skimpy underwear, in a bathrobe, shaving her legs, revealing a lot. But that didn't feel like male gaze to me. And and no, I don't think they did. I think I think in those moments they don't. They they absolutely just present it as someone on screen. It's not, you know, lingering shots on her ass or something. Right. And that's that's good. That's they have not taken an opportunity that was there to them that would have been just, oh, okay. And especially with a male director, because there, right. there is an inclination to do these things, I think, which is hopefully diminishing. There is a moment where you see her in a bikini before they do the jump into the waterfall thing. Mm-hmm. But you also see him in his trunks. And they are both right. presented equally as these are very attractive people in not very much clothing. Right, and I think I think you can get away with it if you're doing it equally there. And there's a bit of her lying in bed in little vest top and panties, and she's lying forward, and you all you can see is the curve of Kristen Stewart. Frankly, let's let's be hang on, yeah, yeah, yeah. let's be euphemistic about this. She's lying there and she's all curvy. Fine, okay. And he turns and he's looking at her. And she is in the male gaze. In this shot, in the in the film to the character, she is in the male gaze. He is looking at her to take but in it's the... intentional. Exactly, exactly. And I think that is okay to do because they then do and he covers her up. Right. And I... It's not just that I celebrate it saying, hey, they didn't take an opportunity where they would have had Kristen Stewart. Because you could absolutely see someone doing it. Oh, this is their wedding night honeymoon thing. Let's have her trotting around in lots of clothes because... Something for the dads. You know. Right. That thing. Not only do they not do that, they then do a thing where they present her in the male gaze and she is literally in the male gaze and then they take the male gaze away and say, but we're Mm -hmm. not doing this thing. 
I, I don't okay. I don't think that's having your cake and eating it. I think that's doing it something really well that other films do not do as well. Okay. So I give them a lot of a lot of credit for it. All right. I think my perspective on that scene is slightly different than yours, but it's yeah, in my favorites too. So No, go on. Yeah, no, I'd love to hear it. That the scene with her um in the lingerie when mm-hmm. she's parading herself around in mm-hmm. front of Edward. She's doing it because he hurt her. He bruised her when mm-hmm. they had sex the first time. And now mm-hmm. he's refused. Yeah. He's not going to do it yeah, again yeah. until she's a vampire. And she is determined to tempt him away <laughs> yes. from this. Yeah. And so she is doing it on purpose. Absolutely. Like, that's why I don't actually think it's male gaze because she knows exactly what she's doing. And she's mm. doing it on purpose. She laid in that bed, put her ass in the air for him Absolutely. to look at. Unless you finished it than I was. Said, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, she. <laughs> yeah, no. And then he covers her up because, I mean, she. It's not successful. Like he is very disciplined. <laughs> but I love that she wants this badly enough that she is trying to make it happen. Mm. Like yeah. she has owned her sexuality. She has owned that she wants to have sex, and she is trying to do that thing with her husband. Yeah. So I I think it's hilarious. Yeah, no, I, I that's ab- why I like it. I absolutely love the idea of it from the character standpoint. Mm-hmm. It's really good. I I found that sequence actually quite funny. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I think because you, the film could have been made in such a way where she comes out in the lingerie and it is significantly more revealing than she is. Yeah. It is. Right. It does the shot. That, you know, this is the shot when when you talk about the male guys. The shot is it starts on her feet. And it works upwards. Yeah. And it takes a very long time to actually show her face, is, mm-hmm. the, is the point. It does not do that. Even when she comes out in the lingerie, it's not revealing. It's not like it's... No, it's not. You it's know, agent provocateur or something. It's just <laughs> a kind of Basque thing and knickers. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> there's just something so refreshing about it, I think. Okay. Maybe, is yeah. the thing. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, I, I yeah, I, I like that scene. Yeah, so. yeah, it's good. It's good from a film standpoint. It's good from a character standpoint. Charlie Swan, Charlie. Dude, Billy Swan. Burke is amazing. It's so he's just so good. Mm-hmm. I don't have anything more to say on him though. That everything he is in this film, in all the films, great. <laughs> I I still love that you can see the similarities between him and his daughter. Mm-hmm. I like that you see him growing a bit into it as it goes on. I like his father of the bride speech. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hate the jokes of, you know, I have a daughter and a 12-gauge shotgun and, and a shovel and, and all of that. Thing. Right. Like, what are you saying? If someone dates your daughter, you're going to kill them. Are you are you really saying that thing? No, you're not, because <laughs> you're a fool. <laughs> but to say, I know he's a good man because I'm a cop and I know how to hunt people... Is a very good line. <laughs> that is, it works in every direction. So I like that very much, and I, right. I like, I like the way the actor does it. I like the way the character's written, mm-hmm. and it's a shame we don't get more of him. Although I understand it because it's very difficult to integrate more humans into the story. Yes, yes. Although it is very weird when Jacob's getting naked in front of him and saying, "It is I'm very about, weird." I'm about to show you something that's going to shock you and stuff. I'm like, Jacob, you, you're not reading the room here, are you? Yeah, and Charlie's like, dude, put your clothes on. Stop taking your clothes. Yeah. It's, it was funny. It's funny. 
Um, what's the thing with Charlie and the guy in the wheelchair's wife? Friend? Sister? Sister. Sister. Is that what it is? Sister. Because I thought it was wife for a period there. Mm. Yeah, that I can see how that would be confusing. Because I don't think they ever really explicitly say it. Certainly I don't think they do it in this film, and I've said it in all the films, they do not remind you who the characters are, which is not good right. for people who don't remember characters. Um, just the way they were setting up, like, oh, he's hitting on her. Dude, he's right there in a wheelchair in front of you. What are you <laughs> doing? <laughs> okay. No. Yeah, they're not married. Sister makes more sense. Because that was nice. It Clearly there is another story going on in the background that we don't get to see. Right. Lovely. Yeah, yeah, always here for that sort of thing. Okay. Mm. What about you? Any favourites? Any other favourites? I have several. Mm. I mean, we've talked about a lot of them already. Um, I really liked um, after after Bella wakes up and she's hugging Edward for the first time. And Edward has to stop her because she's stronger than he is. Mm-hmm. And he says, it's your turn not to break me. <laughs> because he's always had to restrain, yeah. right? I thought that was great, um, and it was a good kind of callback to hmm. and a nice reversal of what we had been seeing. I um, mean, in that same vein, Emmett and Emmett and Bella arm wrestling mm-hmm. was great. Okay, it's a great little comedic okay. moment. Um, go ahead. I feel like the whole thing of her becoming a vampire was dealt with incredibly quickly. And this is this is where perhaps what they did in splitting into is the wrong way, because okay. I, I felt like we got a bit of filler in that first film, and in the second film it was a little bit too short in places. I feel like her becoming a vampire and learning to control it, having fun with being so strong, and having fun with Edward finally, was a really small bit of the film, and I expected that right. to sort of be more of a thing. Perhaps if they split mm-hmm. it into the first half is actually up until the Vol- they know the Volturi are coming for Renesmee. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then it's about them preparing for the Volturi. Something okay. like that. So you would have mm-hmm. had a bit more time in both films for it, but... Right. Yeah. Okay. No, yes. that makes sense. That makes uh, yeah, the bits they did, really good. Uh, and perhaps that's the problem. I wish we'd had more. Okay. You yeah. Mm. yeah. That makes sense. I want her jumping up trees being like, so you think you can beat me? <laughs> <laughs> Just to give you your three beats on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I got it. I got it. Thanks. Um, I like the moment where Jacob finally, like, he finally realizes that everything he thought about vampires is wrong. Mm. Um, you know, he is shocked that the Collins would risk their lives for her. And he asks, you risk your lives for her? And they say, Esme says, of course we would. Bella's a part of our family now. And you can just see the shock on his face. Like he's Mm. suddenly having to recalibrate everything he's ever been taught about vampires. Yeah. Okay. Mm. And I enjoyed that. Um, And then my last thing is something that I don't think you agree with. But I really enjoyed watching Taylor Lautner grow into an actually good actor over the course of the franchise. If you look at his performance in the first movie compared to his performance in the last movie, leaps and bounds. Leaps and bounds. Okay. Well, good for you. Okay. <laughs> no. Um, it It's hard. Uh, 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 this is why I'm having to take a pause because I'm having to think about it. I don't like Jacob in certainly these last two movies. 
I think I think largely okay. the the story is distracted by him, and this is why I'm picking on him so much. The story is distracted. If we had less time on him, we'd have more time on the things that really actually worked. Okay. Um, I, I, and because some of it comes to nothing. That the you know his little splinter pack thing doesn't appear to come to anything, and mm. it's it's just all a bit strange. Um, a, a bit of a distraction. And I don't like his sort of moping around thing. I don't like him standing on their wedding, ruining their wedding, by interrogating them about what they're going to do on their wedding night. I know, I know. It's just a bit much. Um, yeah. And, and she does call him out on him, and she says, you know, it's nothing to do with you. Good right. on her. But you then, the end of their wedding is her looking all bittersweet. And and that's really hard to reconcile with the fact she'd just gotten married and had what looks seemed to be a very nice party. Mm-hmm. So I think I don't like Jacob and I'm finding it hard to reconcile. Does that mean I don't like what Taylor Lautner did? Because Taylor Lautner was just given the opportunity to kind of mope around a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know that I have an answer for you. The, okay. The, the bit that's occurring to me is the bit where he sat there and they're discussing what to do about the baby because the baby's killing her. And Edward looks at him and goes, Jacob's got an idea. I like Jacob's reaction there where he's like, no, stop it. No, no. <laughs> Just I, I enjoyed that. It was that was well done. <laughs> yeah. 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 What do you say? It was just a snide comment or something. Yeah, exactly. It's it, you know, yeah. it's a very nice. That is feels like a callback to them being buddies in previous films. Mm-hmm. And and I again, I would have dug it had we spent less time with him, and he's just brought in like, we could get Jacob to help us. Yeah, or, I'm going to go to the person who can help us, and she goes to Jacob, and it's like, oh, Jacob's back. We haven't seen him in a film. Amazing, you know. Okay. Rather than I've seen him moping around, and and him being telepathic with the other werewolves. That was such a weird moment, where it's just CG and just them narrating over the top of it. All right. Okay. Fair enough. All right. We've been talking for a really long time on this one. Way longer than I thought it was going to be. Is there anything else that we need to discuss about Breaking Dawn or Twilight as a whole? Can I tell you something? You might not know this. The Twilight Saga is based on a series of books. It is. I know someone happens to own those books I've been told I should read these books. And... The most generous, wonderful person in the world bought me the books for my birthday. (laughs) (laughs) The most selfish gift in the world. Are we going to check back in as I read through the books? I think so. (laughs) Because here's the thing. I don't expect you to actually think they're good books. Okay. the the right It's not good writing. They're not pieces of literature. But I want to know if the story is executed better to you in book form than right. it was in the movie. That's really okay. what I want to know. Because the bones of the story are good. We've we've established mm. that. Mm. Like, the foundation is there. And I, I just want to know if you might enjoy it as it was originally told, okay. more so than how we got it on screen. In the original Mormon text. <laughs> yes. Um, the original Mormon text. Mormon text. So, um, okay. Okay. I mean, I'm not a fast reader. I have way too many books to read anyway. Um, shout out to Emma DeBerry for the book Don't Touch My Hair that I'm reading at the moment, which is changing my world. Um, 
I will read them. We'll check back in. Maybe we'll do special Patreon bonuses as I read them or something a month. And I'll tell you where I'm up to. <laughs> <laughs> right. But right, talking okay. of the Mormon texts, do we want to talk how the religious views of the author impacted the story? If you have something to say about that, then I think you should say that thing. I don't know if I do. I, I It just, it stands out to me how much she is no sex before marriage and no abortion. And it feels like it's a very clear message coming across in this. And given the target audience for this, or the audience who definitely liked it a lot, mm-hmm. I don't know that it necessarily presents both viewpoints, even by the time it got to the movie. Okay. And I'm not sure whether it should or not. It's art. It's allowed to present whatever viewpoint it wants to. It's just not necessarily one that I completely agree with. Okay. Which is hard. I think I disagree with you, but... Go on. I, I, I don't entirely remember the headspace I was in as far as religion goes when I read this right. the first time. Okay. I can tell you I didn't know she was Mormon the first time I read it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that it didn't impact my enjoyment of the story at all. Okay. I think, I think it didn't come across to me as explicitly no sex before marriage and no, no abortions because we had, I felt like we had both sides of the story. Okay. You know, and in the first one, Bella wanted to have sex and Edward didn't. Mm -hmm. And in the second one. Bella's the one who wanted to keep the baby and everybody else wanted her. Like, it wasn't the same character who mm-hmm. kind of had those viewpoints. And so it didn't come across as this is the worldview every person is supposed to have because each person was different. Okay, that's fair. And so it felt more nuanced. Mm. And because they spent so much time talking about why they might choose to kill the baby. Mm. You know, because it's going to kill her. They don't know what it's going to be. This is unheard of. You know, it's making you drink blood. (laughs) You know, all of these crazy things. And and so, like, I mean, they were compelling arguments. Like, nobody ever said, it's a baby, so we're not going to kill it. It was, Bella said, this is my baby and I love it. Okay. It wasn't... This is a baby and it must be protected at all costs mm-hmm. because it's a baby. Mm. Well, so I think that was an argument that was made in these films. I think the point of them talking about it and all the reasons why it was dangerous and perhaps was a risk to her, mm-hmm. to everything, was countered by Rosalie going, it's a baby, call it's it a, a baby. baby. Not, yeah. Which is not an okay. argument, frankly. It's not an argument at necessarily that stage of development. There is a point at which it becomes a very difficult di- discussion about whether something mm-hmm. is alive or not. Okay, okay. I, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay, I, I get it. <laughs> but I don't think that's the actual argument Rosalie was making. I think, I mean, I don't think Rosalie was saying we shouldn't kill it because it's a baby. Okay. I think Rosalie was saying we see this as a baby and you keep calling it it. Right. Uh, yeah, they keep calling it a fetus. 
They called it a fetus. Yeah. And they called it an it. Okay. And Rosalie and Bella were both emotionally attached at this point. And okay. that's, from right. my perspective, mm-hmm. and maybe I'm being generous, mm-hmm. but I was reading it as an emotional thing, not we have to protect this baby because it's a baby. Okay. Yeah. I think because it's a beat they go to more than once. Yeah. Okay. It, it felt heavy handed. Okay. It. No, I can but see I that. But I can absolutely see your read as well that, yes, they are trying to counter some of that. Yeah. And, and I wonder if the I, sex... Go on. I do tend to be overly generous to things I like. It's absolutely fine. I do the same. Um, so. Yeah. And it's good. You should like it. I think the no sex for marriage thing is particularly because it's the man saying it. So, again, it's he's making the choices and that's what influences their lives. Mm, okay. And maybe it's being done in that way because it's like, the man doesn't want to have sex. Well, he's so charming and so nice and so good. But they've lost that because he stares at her while she sleeps. So, (laughs) No, I mean, I think it made sense to make it have it be him, though, because he's 117 years old. So he comes from a world that is more conservative. Mm -hmm. Maybe. He's also a vampire, so. He is also a vampire, but, yeah. you know. No, I, I found it interesting. I did have to ask a, a couple of people things on this. So I think let's give Josie a shout out again for me because I knew she would help me understand a little bit more because I, you know, Mormonism is not a thing over here. So I didn't okay. understand whether that was impacting it or not. I had just seen a couple of comments. So I wanted to understand quite mm-hmm. what it, you know, where it, where it came into this. Okay. There have been a lot of discussions around that for yeah. sure. Mm. Um. It just, it never impacted my personal read of the story. Interesting. Okay. So. Okay. Right. Those, those are, are my questions. I think we have done Twilight. We're through. We have done Twilight. Do you think they're ever going to extend it? Like Harry Potter has come up with ways of <sighs> you know, the, the no. magic in world. They have come up with Potterverse. They've come up with all these sorts of things. I'm sure they are discussing how to do this with the Hunger Games, which is more. Oh, no, they already are. They're releasing like, a sequel where President Snow is the hero. There is, there is, yeah, prequel. A more, sorry, a, a more sequel. tangible way of continuing that that universe. Mm-hmm. But Twilight made a lot of money. It did. What would you see? Is, is this the continuing stories of Renesmee and Jacob? Oh, I would watch that. That's you know not what? the story that I want to watch. I would watch that. Would G- you? Girl and her wolf travel the world solving crimes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. What would you watch? What would your ideal spin-off I, be? I want to see Bella being vampire. Okay. Like, I want to see Bella and Edward move to LA and have a detective agency. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I don't know. I mean, I want to see, like, Carlisle has used his his considerable lifespan to, like, tame his aversion to blood so that he can be a doctor and help people i want to see what bella would do with that time span Mm. Mm. you know edward hasn't done you know nobody else in the family has done anything except continue to go to high school yeah so maybe she's just gonna do that but Mm -hmm. i you know i i want to know what the next step is for her i have a feeling that bella completely turns that family upside down okay i mean she did bring them a child yeah (laughs) vampire (laughs) child so I just I want to see more of that, but mm. I'm happy with where it ended. So. Okay, yeah, so you would be I'm, happy. I'm with good no if more. we don't. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm. So. I still think I still think this universe has scope for curing vampirism. Even I even was going to ask one. you about yeah. that. 
Um, but we got derailed on so many things because that was one of your predictions. Mm. And so I, I wanted to know, did you, when did you figure out that wasn't going to happen and were you disappointed? I, I don't think I expected it to happen in this one. Um, I, if it was going to happen, it would have been in a previous one. Because okay. they would have laid down something about killing the head vampire and turning other people or some sort of cure for it or so on. Mm-hmm. I had a vague wonder if Alice was going to turn up with something like that. Something interesting. Mm. Um, although, as it turns out, it was actually quite a good riff, what they did, uh, for, for Alice to solve things. But, yeah, I just... They've always talked about being a vampire as being so lonely and so terrible. And even Edward does. Edward right. isn't happy being a vampire. He wants to grow old. The the mm-hmm. the better solution to this. Th- th- this feels like those things like um some kind of wonderful. Is that what it was called? You know, they like you want them to end up on their own. You oh, want the girl yeah. to go to prom on her own and enjoy it, but they can't yeah. write that ending. They can't mm-hmm. write the ending where she doesn't end up with a love interest. In the vampire story, they can't write the thing where actually everyone ends up as human and very happy because of it. Right. Although it would be a really good ending. It would really work for these. Okay. Well, if you would like to join the conversation, you can use the hashtag PCDeprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing, or you can send an email to podcast at eloquentgushing.com. Thank you again to Josie Bentley at Josbot7, who has been a wonderful patron supporter, and thank you to all our lovely, lovely patrons. If you want to help, you can go to patreon.com slash eloquentgushing to find out more. Uh, anything you give, even $1 a month, you get access to exclusive content, bonus shows, extra shows, early shows, merch, physical items, coasters, magnets, stickers, all sorts of things. So go and check out patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. We will be back next week with another episode where we're going to talk about something. We're just not sure what yet. <laughs> Movies. <laughs> so until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And I will be the one in white. Popculturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, go to eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing. So hopefully you already had it open and ready? Yes, yes. Okay, good. Are you recording in Zoom? Um, no, I'm not. Okay, are but you recording me on Audacity? I am not. I checked that while you were talking about the play. Okay. <laughs> but I figured ah, out. That's why you weren't listening to me. I was too. <laughs> I was too. But I figured out which buttons to push over there to make sure I can good. hear you and it doesn't okay. record you. Okay, I mean, this is all going in the show, so it's cool. Cool, cool, cool. We're recording. No, it's not. No, it's not. Good outro and outtakes. Uh, outro takes. Oh, Matthew, you kill me.